Good morning, welcome, welcome. How is everyone? You guys doing good? Yeah, good, good, good. Hey, we're in Daniel, in the Holy Bible, in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. I'll be in my iPad because the font's better in the iPad, so that's what we're gonna do here. Daniel chapter eight, we're gonna get through all of Daniel chapter eight. We've titled the message today, God Knows and God Can Be Trusted. Do you believe that? Yeah, I mean, as we see it throughout the scripture in the Old and the New Testament, and in Daniel's vision, his second vision in Daniel chapter eight, we get another picture of that. God's omniscience, his omnipresence, he knows everything. He's everywhere present at once. We know that God knows. And if we know that God knows, we can know that he can be trusted. We're talking about dreams today and visions, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8. Do you know that God, we, should, we shouldn't be surprised that God is speaking to Daniel through dreams and visions. God has always done that. You know that in the Muslim world, that God is revealing himself, that Jesus is actually showing up to people in their dreams? Why is he doing that? Because he loves them. He wants to reveal himself to them in their dreams. And so I'm talking to a gal this week, a young couple working with crew, and they're working in the Muslim world, sharing the gospel. And so what they're doing is they're creating these social media uh, advertisements, and their advertisements say something like this, would you like to know the Jesus Christ of the Holy Bible? And then people just peruse their social media, and they see that, and they click on it if they want to know the Jesus Christ of the Holy Bible, and they click on it, and someone on the other end, someone in this country or another country, they begin to respond back and forth, back and forth. It's a profound, it's it's wonderful. It's supernatural. So she was explaining to me that God, and I keep hearing this for a long time, that Jesus is revealing himself to these people in dreams. She told me a story about this guy who was asleep, and in his dream, he's in the desert. And while he's in the desert, Jesus shows up to this guy, and he feeds him water out of the palm of his hand. (laughs) Jesus meets him in the desert in his dream and it's symbolic of his life because we're all lost in a desert, having a desert experience apart from the life of Jesus Christ. And so a few days later, the guy gets saved. He comes across one of these questions, these ads on social media. Do you want to know the Jesus Christ of the Holy Bible? He says, yes. And so they lead him to Jesus, the Jesus of the Holy Bible. Another guy was having a dream, and he's in the bottom of this well. And Jesus shows up, and he looks up, and he sees Jesus, and then Jesus just disappears. He's like, Jesus is trying to get a message to me. (laughs) And so within a few days, he's on social media, and he sees one of these advertisements. Do you want to know the Jesus Christ of the Holy Bible? (laughs) And he said, yes. And he gave his life to Jesus. We're just seeing wonderful and profound things that God is doing in the earth. A friend of mine this morning morning just told me about his granddaughter. His granddaughter had a dream. She's five years old. See, just a couple days before his granddaughter had this dream, 
her grandmother on the other side of the family had passed away. But they hadn't told the girl yet. They didn't know how to tell her. So they're driving this little five-year-old with her mom. They're driving in the car, and mom's saying, man, I just, I just didn't sleep well last night. I'm super tired. And the little girl said, man, I, I'm, I feel so good. I slept so well last night. And she said, I had a dream. And her mom said, well, what did you dream about? She said, well, in my dream, I saw grandma in heaven. Grandma's with the Lord. So God broke the news to her. In a dream. We serve a personal, wonderful, powerful, amazing God who's intimately acquainted, acquainted with us and knows what we're going through and knows what we need. And if, if we'll just pay attention and just open our eyes just a little bit, God will show us through dreams, through visions, through the word especially. He'll just show us his way and his plan for our lives. And so Daniel gets, this is the second dream, like two years after his first dream. In Daniel chapter seven, Daniel gets another dream. And God shows Daniel what's gonna unfold in the, in the world, in the universe. And <laughs> critics would say that Daniel's not a prophetic book, but it's a history, historic book that it was written after the fact, but it's not. Evidence is right in Daniel chapter 8 that when he got the vision, he didn't, he didn't know what to make of it. He didn't know what it all meant. If it was historic, he would know, oh, this is, this is information about what has already happened. But this is information about what would happen in the days and years to follow, but then also that what would happen at the end of days. And so God gives Daniel this vision so that he might understand and so that we, when we read the visions, might understand what is on, what's unfolding in the, in the earth and so that we might be prepared for it and not freaked out by it, but ready for it in Jesus so that we could actually get excited about the things that are unfolding in the earth because we've got purpose in our time here in this end time season that we're in. We've got purpose. You've got purpose. I used to do this all the time, but go ahead and stand up. I'm going to do it again. Go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Now, go ahead. Is everybody up? Nobody can cheat on this deal. Is everybody up? Jim, thanks. Jim, I got to watch that guy. So you got to turn and now touch their seat. Touch your seat. Yeah, not your, not your booty, but the seat that you are sitting on, right? Is it warm? That's because you've got... You've got blood pulsing through your veins. And if you've got blood pulsing through your veins, it's because you've got purpose. Amen. If you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose. Go ahead and sit back down. <laughs> so we're not just, this is just an academic exercise that we're doing here to kind of give us some, you know, to help us fill in our, under, our understanding in the book of Daniel. This is, this is meant to inspire us and to build us up in our most holy faith, to give us something to, to, to chew it on and to uh, build our lives around. We've got purpose in Jesus. And so we got to be about our father's business. We've titled the message today, God knows and God can be trusted. And so even as God spoke to that five-year-old, because he knew that her grandma was with him in heaven and she needed to hear that. And her parents didn't know how to break it. God's got a pretty good way of breaking bad news, you know, hard news, because she got to see her grandmother in heaven. And her mom said, well, what did she look like? And she said, well, she, she looked basically the same except for she didn't have any wrinkles. 
no ring. Isn't that good news? Today is Pastor Ron D's birthday, 64 years old. So Ron, 65? 65. So DJ was cruising the junior high when she found Pastor Ron. So Ron, when you get to heaven, all those wrinkles, you don't have very many, but all those wrinkles, they're gonzo, dude. They're gonzo. We got purpose in the earth. So Daniel's got a vision of a ram and a goat. <laughs> More animals in Daniel's vision. So I'll read all of Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 14, because in verses 8, 1 through 14, chapters 8, verses 1 through 14, we see the vision. And when we get to verse 15, the interpretation of the vision, then I'll just take it a little bit at a time, like a, a verse or two at a time. So as we get into this chapter today, I want us to remember two things, that beasts or animals represent kingdoms, right? So when we read about be, you know, a ram or a goat, we know that they represent kingdoms in the earth. When we read about horns, those horns represent rulers or kings. And so if we're reading about beasts with horns, we know that the beasts represent the kingdoms of the earth, and the horns represents the rulers of the kings over those kingdoms of the earth. Does that help a little bit? Yes. Okay, good. Let's get into Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at first. So he's talking about a second vision here. And I saw in the vision... And when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was in the, at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram. What does a ram represent? Kingdom, right? So I saw a ram standing on the bank of the canal, and it had two horns. And both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. And no beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue uh, from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. 
It grew great, even to the host of heaven and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. And it became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offerings was taken away from him and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And the host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offerings because of transgression and it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. Then I heard verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another one, another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long? How long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offerings, the transgressions that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Lord, as we get into your word today, God, I pray that you would illuminate truth to us. God, I pray that you would stir us up God, that you would remind us of your greatness, of your knowledge, of your power. God, help us to understand something of your word and apply it to our lives. We need your help, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now, now that we've heard the vision, let's go through the balance. Beginning in verse 15, we get the interpretation. Thank God he gives us God gives us help with the interpretation, right? Verse 15, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. Isn't that powerful? Like, we need to be like Daniels in our lives as we, as we read the scripture and as, something, as we read something that's maybe perplexing or hard for us to grasp, we, we need to seek to understand it. If maybe we get a dream about something and we feel like there might be some spiritual significance, we, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you trying to communicate to me? Now, sometimes we have bad dreams because we just had a, well, we had a bad burrito or something like that happen and we just have crazy dreams, right? So not every dream has a spiritual significance. In fact, I would say most don't. But if you think there might be some spiritual significance, be like Daniel, I sought to understand it. And I believe that as you open up your word, the Bible, God will, will speak to you. And over time, God will begin to reveal something to you if there is indeed something to uh, your dream. So when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. <laughs> and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, <laughs> make this man understand the vision. So who's Gabriel? He's an angel, right? He's an archangel. So remember in Luke chapter one, the angel Gabriel shows up. And he shows up to the priest, Zechariah. And so Zechariah's, well, to put it kindly, he's getting a little older, right? He and his wife, they're getting a little older. Not as old as Ron, but they're getting older, right? Well past their childbearing years. And the angel of the Lord tells them, your, your, your wife 
You're going to have a baby. Well, they're barren up to this point. And boy, Zechariah, being the priest of God that he is, a godly man that he is, what does he immediately do? He looks upon his circumstances, his earthly human circumstances, and he's like, it's impossible. So Gabriel said, you're mute, dude. You're not going to be able to talk until that baby is born, kind of as a judgment or as a reminder of the power of God. Like, don't doubt what God wants to do, right? So that angel Gabriel also showed up to Mary, this teenage virgin girl who wasn't even married. She was betrothed, engaged, but not married. She's a virgin. And Gabriel tells her that she's going to have a child. And Mary, the same thing. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin, right? And Gabriel reassures her, right? So what will happen is when we're reading through the scripture and we feel like God's maybe calling us to something, giving us direction about something, um, directing us in some way, we're going to immediately look at our own circumstances, our own limitations. We're going to look at our lives and say, impossible, right? Don't make the angel of the Lord make you mute until it comes to pass, right? <laughs> Say, yes, Lord. I don't understand how. I don't know what it's going to look like, but yes, Lord. So this angel Gabriel is showing up and communicating in Daniel and in Luke chapter 1. Listen, God knows, and he can be trusted. God knew the circumstances of Zechariah and Elizabeth. God knew the circumstances of Mary and Joseph before all of that, God knew the kingdoms of the earth that would rise and fall. God knew the circumstances then, and he knows the circumstances now at a macro level. He understands. And at a micro level, God understands. God knows, and God can be trusted. God knows your circumstances intimately. He knows your circumstances better than you know your circumstances. He's got greater clarity about your circumstances than you do about your own circumstances. God knows, and God can be trusted. Do you believe that? Yes. Because you're, what you're going to have to do is in the course of your life, declare that. Because you're going to be frustrated, confused, angry, whatever it may be, it, you may just have this big disbelief about what's going on in your life. But you need to say with Daniel, with Zachariah, with Elizabeth, with Mary, with Joseph, you need to say, God, God knows, and he can be trusted. These guys didn't know, but God did. The one that they serve knew. The one that you serve knows. God knows he can be trusted. So he, verse 17, Daniel 8, so he, Gabriel, came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And so we're going to read through and see that some of this vision is going to unfold in the course of history and has unfolded in the course of history. But it's all written to prepare us for what is coming as history continues to unfold. Notice that when God's angel appears, great fear is experienced. Why is great fear experienced? Imagine the angel Gabriel. He's dispatched from the throne room of heaven. He have, he's been in the presence of God, and so he carries some of that glory with him. He is the angel of the Lord. And so when any 
person, human being, has experienced the presence of even an angel of the Lord. We're not even talking about God. There is anxiety and fear. Daniel fell down on his face. John the Apostle, in the book of Revelation, when he saw the angel of the Lord, he fell like a dead man. This is what happens. Why? Because this angel, these angels have been in the presence of the living God. Listen, this should just give us a clue about our perspective concerning God. Jesus is our friend. There's no doubt, but he is God. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. His throne is everlasting. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There, there should be a holy uh, awe and fear of the Lord when we're considering who he is and what he has done. And so when we're reading the scripture, we need to have a, a, a sense of awe, like, Lord, I, I think you're speaking to me. I, I know you're speaking to me. God, what is my responsibility? Instead of just, just kind of more of a flippant, well, you know, that's for others, but it's not for me. Listen, if we lack a fear of the Lord, a humble adoration and awe, we're gonna miss what God has for us in this life. We're gonna dismiss it. We're not gonna take it serious, but when we take serious the person, the work, and the, the call of God upon our lives, man, that's when we'll ex experience something powerful in our walk with Jesus. And power will never hit our lives as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ until we just we die to ourselves, we come alive in Christ Jesus, we, we make him the Lord and leader of our lives, and we have a humble fear of the Lord where we adore him in every area of our life. We're, we're saying, God, you are God and I am not. If we, if, if we don't, if, man, if we can't get from the scripture what happened to Daniel and what happened to John, man, if we just gloss over these things, we're gonna, we're gonna miss a move of God that he wants to accomplish in our lives. So when God's angels appear, great fear is experienced. Again, these angels have been dispatched by the living, eternal God. Verse 18, and when he had spoken, when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Now, I don't know if he went down so hard he passed out <laughs> or if he was just so fearful, overwhelmed, he just went to sleep or what. Something happened. He had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. He said, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but, but he the angel, he touched me and made me stand up. So Daniel apparently was awake when he received the vision. And now the angel's making sure that Daniel's awake when he hears the interpretation. He wants Daniel awake. Like, hey, you need to listen and hear and record what you've seen. Verse 19, he said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. The skeptics would again say this is a historic book written after the fact. Clear exegesis of the text would tell you that this is prophetic, that God knew it and God could be trusted. And he gave us the information so that we could know him and trust him as things unfold. So the vision that Daniel received from the Lord concerned the end of times. Some of the vision would unfold before the end, but all to prepare us for the end 
times. And so people, just like you and me, people down throughout history have been able to read and understand that God knows and God can be trusted. Daniel 8.20, as for the ram that you saw, and now we get the interpretation. Animals, beasts represent kingdoms, right? So here we go. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, what do the horns represent? Rulers or kings, right? As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, Medo-Persia. And so we see that Daniel saw a picture of this kingdom and the kings. Remember in Daniel 2 and in Daniel 7, the image that prophetically represents the kingdoms of the world until the end. Let's throw that up there. So you see the statue, um, Daniel chapter 2, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then finally Rome, and then we'll see the revived Roman Empire before it's all said and done, Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 7, we see the beasts that represent Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome. We see in this vision... Uh, we get a slightly different take on two of those godless kingdoms. We're only going to be looking at Medo-Persia and Greece. Medo-Persia and her kings are represented by a ram with two horns. Greece is represented by a male goat with a conspicuous horn between his eyes. Medo-Persia was a powerhouse, a powerful nation for almost 200 years until, hold that thought, who, who overtook Medo-Persia? Hmm? Greece, but who did it? Alexander the Great. Good, good, good. So we get just a little bit of a touch from Alexander the Great in the scripture. But So Medo-Persia was a powerful nation for almost 200 years until Alexander the Great. The betrayal of the two horns representing the Medo-Persian Empire is very accurate as to the Persians coming up last represented by the higher horn. Remember, ram with two horns, the larger horn that came up last was taller. They, they were more permanent, uh, prominent and powerful. You can read about that in Daniel 8.3 again. Back to Daniel 8.21, and the goat is the king of Greece. That's what the angel said. The goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. So the goat is the is the nation of the Greek nation, and what's the horn? Who's the horn represent? Between you know, the conspicuous horn between his eyes, Alexander. Alexander the Great. Here we go. So, as for the horn that was broken in place, of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from this from his nation, but not with his power. So when uh, when when the first king, Alexander the Great, is deposed and killed. Uh, four kings will arise and the nation of Greece will be broken up into four distinct sections and with four distinct leaders all under the same um, headship or monarchy. So Daniel saw, uh, saw the ram overcome by a male goat. The male goat is Greece and the conspicuous horn represents Alexander the Great. We, we're told there that the goat attacked the ram with great fury. Why did the goat attack the ram with great fury. Uh, great fury. Daniel 8, 7 tells us, I saw him, the goat, come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him 
but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. So earlier in history, the Persians had attacked Greece, and so now it's Greeks' retaliation time. So Alexander the Great goes after Medo-Persia because of what had happened earlier. The Persians had attacked the Greeks earlier, and now it was time for Greek retaliation. That's why there was such anger, right? You wonder why is there such, well, this is why. It's retaliation time. So Alexander's rise was fast and powerful, but short-lived. Daniel's vision showing that the goat going across the face of the earth without touching the ground. So when you read that, it's poetic, right? What is the writer trying to communicate to us? What was seen in the vision? Well, it's poetic. It's speaking of Alexander the Great's vast and, and, and quick conquering of the known world. The, it's like he, it happened so fast, his feet didn't even have a chance to touch the ground. That's kind of the poetic, poetic language that we see. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So when Alexander the Great was gone, four conspicuous horns, the horns represent rulers or kings, right? Matthew Henry wrote, Alexander, when about 33 years of age, and in his full strength died, and showed and showed the vanity of a worldly of worldly pomp and power, and they can, uh, and they cannot make a man happy. So, thirty three years of age. Listen, when God's done with you, it doesn't matter if you're Alexander the Great. When God is done with you, you are done. God was done with Alexander the Great, and he died. Do you know what Alexander the Great said? This he said: "Bury my body, and don't build any monument. Bury my body, and don't build any monument. Keep my hands out." So the people know the one who won the world had nothing in his hands when he died. So he had some clarity before he died that all of this glorious conquering of the known world, he was still going to the grave with nothing in his hands. Listen, it's in our culture to be conquering and victorious and to build and to, you know, do those things. But listen, all of the things that we do this side of heaven, apart from God and his kingdom, apart from God's work and his call upon our lives, it's all wood, hay, and stubble. Alexander got that. He's like, I, I, I go to the grave with nothing in my hands. He understood something about it. We need to understand something about that. Like we're gonna go to the grave and the only thing that follows us into eternity is what we have done for Jesus. Everything else is wood, hay, and stubble. Precious metals and precious jewels, that's what we'll take with us, those things that we did for the king when we prayed for somebody, when we fed somebody, in Jesus' name, when we helped somebody, when we discipled somebody, when we worshiped God and made him a priority in every area and arena of our lives, when we make Jesus the king and everything else secondary. We're building for ourselves eternal value in the kingdom. Everything else, everything else that's not done for God's glorious purposes in the earth, wood, hay, and stubble. So I want us to know, by God's grace, that we have lived our lives and we've built something of kingdom worth 
as we've lived our lives, that we haven't wasted our lives just on material and earthly pursuits, but we've done something by God's grace because he's given us the strength and the desire. He gets all the credit and the glory, but by his grace, we have done something for him. We've done something that will last into eternity. Those are the only things that will follow us. Academics won't follow us. Houses won't follow us. Big bank, they want nothing that isn't for Jesus won't follow us. This is how we're all gonna go, empty-handed, unless, ah, unless we've lived for Jesus. And then we take something with us, man, something that's gonna be celebrated for all eternity, souls, people that are gonna come up to you in heaven and say, I am here. <laughs> because you said something. I'm here because you told me about Jesus. I'm here because of Jesus ultimately, but God used you. Man, I want to get there and I want people to say that to me. Oh, they will. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> But equally important is I want people to say that about you guys. And that's, that's my hope and my aim. And everything really that I do is to help us get there, cross the line, and having something of value eternally that marks our life. So verse 8 talks about the four conspicuous horns. Verse 9 says that out of one of the four conspicuous horns came a little horn. This is familiar language when compared to Daniel's first vision in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 8, 9, out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. So again, horns represent kings or rulers. So a leader arose toward the close of the kingdom of the four kings that divided Alexander's kingdom. So again, there were four distinct kings, four separate kingdoms, yet they all belonged to one kingdom or monarchy, or monarchy, monarchy the Greek, Grecian Empire. So when the Grecian Empire was decreasing, like they all did and will, and coming into the hands of the Roman, there rose up a wicked leader who flourished for a while. King Antiochus, or Antiochus, however you pronounce it, Epiphanes. King Antiochus is known as the Antichrist of the Old Testament. He is the little horn. I love that God calls him the little horn. <laughs> it kind of keeps everything in perspective for us. Because sometimes we hear about the Antichrist and we get a little nervous, right? But he's just the little horn, right? <laughs> so this Antichrist of the Old Testament will be like the Antichrist of the New Testament, but he's just a little guy, right? Just a little guy. And we're going to look at Satan and uh, the false prophet and the Antichrist, and we're going to just wonder how in the world did they wreak such havoc in the earth? And why did we let them? But God had a purpose in all of it. So I'm glad God calls the Antichrist little horn. And that's true for every problem in our life. Problem, they're little. In light of, 
not making light of the difficulties and the challenges that we all go through, but in comparison to, in light of the glory of God and the goodness and the power that God has for us that is unfolding, it's he, just a little horn. Right, so let's keep it in perspective when we're up against hard stuff and say, God, would you take care of this little horn for me? <laughs> hmm. Back to the little horn, Antiochus Epiphanes was a Greek king of the Seleucid Empire who reigned over Syria from 175 BC until 164 BC. He is famous for almost conquering Egypt and for his brutal persecution of the Jews, which precipitated the Maccabean Revolt. Antiochus was a ruthless and often capricious ruler. He was unpredictable, as most crazy people are. They're just a little unpredictable, right? <laughs> crazy people are often unpredictable. He is probably Antiochus IV, but he took upon himself the title Epiphanes, which means illustrious one or God manifest. Just like his father, Satan, Lucifer, he wanted to be like the Most High God, just doing what his father does. However, his bizarre and blasphemous behavior earned him another nickname among the Jews, Epipmenes, Epipmenes, E-P-I-M-A-N-E-S, which means mad one, mad one. <laughs> Antiochus is a tyrannical figure in Jewish history, and he's also a foreshadowing of the coming Antichrist. So Antiochus shut down the worship in the, the, in the sacrificial system in the temple. He did it then, and we're, we're told uh, as we read Maccabees that he actually sacrificed a pig on the altar of God. So, you know, Pork unclean, right? Old Testament, right? We can eat pork now. Thank the Lord for that, right? Because I love me some bacon. But in the Old Covenant, <laughs> you couldn't eat it, right? So Antiochus sacrifices a pig right on the altar. Just He was a knucklehead. I, 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 can't, I, I can't imagine the darkness of his mind and the lack of, just he was a tool of the enemy. Daniel 9.27, and he... Antichrist shall make a strong covenant with many for a week. This is happening at the end of time. And for half a week, he, will, he shall put it into sacrifices and offerings. And so there's not currently a temple where sacrifices and offerings are made. But if we understand what's going on in Israel, they've garnered, gathered all of material needed to build the next temple. When I was in Israel with a group from here and another church in 2019, our tour guide was a Jew, not a Messianic Jew, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but a Jew, an Old Covenant, Old Testament Jew. And he told me that he hoped when the temple is erected and they begin the sacrificial system again, he hoped that he could be one of the priests that would offer sacrifices in the temple. They've gathered everything that they need. And so when you see, <laughs> when we see the temple being built, <laughs> you know, we're very close to the very end. So Daniel's prophecy concerns a coming ruler who will cause the offerings to cease in the temple and set up an abomination that causes desolation. And while what Antiochus did certainly qualifies as an abomination, Jesus speaks of Daniel's prophecy as having a still future fulfillment. Matthew 24, 15. So Antiochus, a type of Antichrist in the Old Testament, and now we're going to see that something still needs to unfold. According to Jesus, good source, 
Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader, let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. So the Antichrist will emulate Antiochus in his great pride, blasphemy, blasphemous actions, and hatred of the Jews. And again, they're both acting under Satan's leadership and authority, so it stands to reason that their behavior is the same. We shouldn't be surprised by that. It seems Daniel 8.23, through the end of this chapter, is speaking about King Antiochus, and also, so it's a double fulfillment. We see that in Scripture. He's speaking about King Antiochus, but also the Antichrist that will arise in the tribulation period. Daniel 8, 23, we're getting ready to wrap up here. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, I like you reading that, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. Remember in Revelation chapter 13 that Satan gives his power to the Antichrist, to the beast. So he's not operating in his own strength and his own power, just like children of God, we're not to be operating in our own strength and in our own power. We've been created to operate in the strength and power of the living God. This is how God accomplishes his plans for us and through us in the earth. And so the unholy trinity just copies the holy trinity. They're mimicking what God has set up for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Antichrist is operating in the power of Satan himself. We, we've got a better gig, man. We've got a better thing going on. We operate, we are, we are designed to operate in the power of the living God, verse 24 continues, and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit, uh, make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own, and in his own mind, he shall become great. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody like that? Like in his own mind, right? He's famous in his own mind. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even, uh, he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, against God. And he, the Antichrist, shall be broken, but by no human hand, God's hand will crush him. Listen, when God's done with him, he's crushed, he's judged, Right? When God's done with any human ruler, he's done, gone. The vision, verse 26, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. In verse 27, and I, Daniel, was overcome, <laughs> just like the first vision. Remember, he's like pale and sick, right? I was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Prophetic, not historic. God knows and God can be trusted. Do you believe that in your own life? It is true in your life. It is true in my life, God knows every circumstance that you're dealing with and he can be trusted. He will bring about a remedy in this life or the next, but he can and he must be trusted. If, if we choose not to trust him when things are difficult, we will wash. 
we will fall away and we will miss out on God's very best for our lives. With that, let's go ahead and stand up and invite the worship team. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. Man, it is interesting to say the least in life giving and precisely what we need in this day and age. And so, Lord, I pray that each of us, Lord, would know of your power that you know and believe, God, that you can be trusted. And so for those who are here today who are struggling with that, Lord, give us supernatural ability to know that you know and to know that we can trust you. And maybe there are some here today who've never given their lives to you, but man, in light of this message, in light of what you've been doing in their lives, Lord, and in light of the work of working of the Holy Spirit in their lives, uh, maybe they're here today, maybe there's a person or a group, a number of people here who just have never given their lives to you. I pray, God, that they would say yes to you today. In Jesus' name. If you want to give your life to Jesus, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so if you're here today and you know you need the lordship of Jesus Christ, you invite him into your life. And as you invite him into your life, he comes in and he cleans house. He, he cleanses you of your sin and begins to work in your life to give you a new life. He adopts you into his family and you're part of the family of God that will last forever and ever. Amen. You acknowledge his lordship that he died, that he, he came as born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died for your sins and mine, and that he resurrected from the dead because he is God to the glory of God the Father. And so you're acknowledging that he is God and you are not. You are, he is God and you're giving your life to him and you're, you're needing desperately the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. And so in your own words, make it happen. And as you do, as you confess those things that we've been talking about, Jesus will come into your life. And if you've done that today at the Info Center, we've got bags that have Bibles and information that will help you in your walk with the Lord. So if you've given your life to Jesus today, go back to the Info Center. Tell the person at the Info Center that you've given your life to Jesus. That way somebody else knows and they can help you with the information that you need. And so, Lord, as we worship now, be glorified. God, help us to keep our eyes on you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's worship.